Welcome back, everybody. In today's episode, we're talking to Professor David Robinson from Duke University. Dr. Robinson is a leading expert in the world of private capital. He's written extensively about private equity, and he sits on the advisory board of the Private Equity Research Consortium. He's also really unique because he's thought about private capital from an international perspective at places like the World Economic Forum and the Swedish House of Finance. Without further ado, let's dive in. I'm your host, Shruti Rao, and this is Counting on Capital. Dr. Robinson, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So, Dr. Robinson, you are a professor at Duke's Fuqua School of Business, and you've dedicated much of your work to studying private capital. You're also a research associate at the National Bureau of Economic Research. So how did you first get interested in economics, and what led you to study private capital? Um, Well, you know, growing up, my dad had a small business. And so I can just remember a lot of the back and forth between he and my grandfather. They had a business together. And, you know, my father often would would field calls and give advice to other people who were starting small businesses in the community. So I kind of just grew up kind of without even knowing it, just kind of getting an interest in economics. And I think that kind of led me to pursue economics as an undergraduate major. And then um, after that, I was just convinced that I wanted to go to to grad school and and, and learn more about it. I, I went to graduate school around the time that the the um, the Iron Curtain began to fall, the Berlin Wall, etc. And so that was a period of time of tremendous economic upheaval. It just fascinated me and drew me in. And so that's kind of what got me started in economics in the first place. And um, I guess private capital, what, what got me interested in private capital was just, it, it's an if you're interested in entrepreneurship and small business, uh, private capital is such an important source of funding for those type businesses that I was naturally drawn to that. So, Professor Robinson, you've studied venture capital and private equity. What are the major trends we've seen across both of these industries? And how do we think about this increasing convergence of venture capital and private equity? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, um, I I teach a course at Fuqua, and the course is called Venture Capital and Private Equity. And part of the reason why we we have a course that's taught that way is because the kind of the institutional arrangements for venture capital and, and buyout firms look similar. They raise money from limited partners. They call that capital down when they identify investment opportunities and they 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 invest in, in, in companies and then exit those companies and, and, and generate returns for their investors. So the kind of lay of the land looks similar, but over time, those industries uh, became very specialized in what they did. And I think one of the things that's been interesting is you see companies like, um, well, for example, like Silver Lake, which is a large buyout fund, they're making investments in... Um, tech companies, many of them are, 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 you know, large established tech companies, but they're making investments that look a lot like investments in high growth uh, companies. So in some ways, what you're seeing is the lines blurred between um, late stage venture capital and growth equity and, and, and private equity. And I think part of the reason for that is just because Firms are staying private longer, and they're drawing down more capital from private capital markets. Um, it, you know, 20 years ago, we would see young companies and small companies going public, and accessing capital from public capital markets. That seems to be happening much less now. And I think that's part of the reason for the convergence of VC and private equity. 
Um, I also think that what what you've seen is you've seen just a long um, expansion of the industry. So now there's probably close to six trillion dollars of private capital out there in the world in various forms. And when it becomes such a broad asset class, you start to see uh, lots of sort of, I guess, proliferation would be the word, lots of different strategies being being employed. It becomes much less less cookie cutter just because there's so much of it out there. You sit on the advisory board of the Private Equity Research Consortium. This research effort was started back in 2012 in an effort to better understand the impact of private equity. You know, what do you feel like have been the biggest takeaways that have come out of this research effort? And how has the research over the past eight or so years really changed our understanding of private equity? It's been an incredibly rewarding experience to be part of the Private Equity Research Consortium. Um, I, I did my graduate work at the University of Chicago. And back in the 19, I guess, 60s, probably, the University of Chicago really spearheaded access to capital and public capital markets. Um, through the development of this organization called CRISP. Uh, and so in some ways, what we're trying to do is do to private capital markets what CRISP did to public capital markets 40 years ago. We're trying to make, you know, the, 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 the hard thing about studying private equity is this word private. You know, when it's private, you can't, you don't necessarily know what's going on. And so, uh, what we've really done is we've come up with um, a, a mechanism and a set of practices whereby academic researchers can get access to highly confidential private data and use it in a way that doesn't um, reveal the it, 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 use it in a way that maintains the anonymity of the of the private equity actors, but allows us to draw conclusions about the 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 state of the private equity market and and trends and things like that and we've actually learned a ton over in the last eight to ten years about this you go back to some of the early research that was being done with data we were helping with um, we were oh, ten years ago we were still trying to understand what was the relative performance of private equity relative to public capital markets and now I feel like that question is pretty pretty well established. The answer to that question is pretty well established. I think it's pretty clear. My work has shown this. The work of other PERC advisory board members has shown this. Private equity has outperformed public markets by around, on an annualized basis, around 3% over the long haul. Um, that's been a little bit less true over the last 10 years or so because of the strength of public capital markets. But taking, taking the long historical record, private equities outperform public equity. That's something we didn't really know uh, clearly 10 years ago. Um, we've also been able to um, look at the way private equity behaves, just like the cyclicality of the market and, and just how, um, you know, how investors in the market uh, can 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 do a better job of allocating capital to the sector by 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 taking advantage of sort of predictable cyclicality in the market, um, and I expect that as we get finer and finer data going forward, we're going to be able to ask even sharper questions and really drill down into just like how private equity firms um, change the companies that they invest in. You're also the former vice chair of the World Economic Forum's Global Agenda Council on Finance and Capital. 
Can you tell us more about the World Economic Forum's work in this area? How do they think about issues related to private capital? Yeah, that was a really interesting experience. Um, I, I, I don't think that the World Economic Forum operates these global agenda councils anymore, but uh, a number of years ago, they had these these global agenda councils where they would bring together experts from different perspectives on a problem and kind of put them together in, in the same room and let them just kind of talk about what issues were top of mind. And so I was on a I was on a, a global agenda council that was basically looking at the private equity market. And what was so interesting about it is that um, you had limited partners, you had general partners, you had people who worked for sovereign wealth funds, you had academics like myself, and we were all in a room sitting down together talking to one another. And it was really nice because you could get, you know, you, you could hear um, in a very friendly, collaborative um, environment, you could talk, you could be talking to people who would otherwise may perhaps have a contentious relationship with one another or maybe sometimes take opposite sides of an issue. But we were able to kind of sit down in a room together and talk about issues. At the time, we spent a lot of time thinking about um, private equity taxation and what, you know, how, how should private equity be taxed. As you, as you may or may not know, um, the, the returns to private equity are typically taxed as long-term capital gains, which means they're taxed at a much lower rate than the ordinary income that someone would make in a, in a, in a salary. And so that's caused a lot of tension in, in public policy circles. We, we spent a lot of time talking about that. We also spent a lot of time thinking about how private equity could be used as a mechanism for achieving other social goals. So, for example, you know, exporting best business practices um, from Europe and, and the West into developing economies that didn't have strong business infrastructures. Like how could you use private equity investment as a tool for that? Could you think about using business investment as a way of trying to sow peace in conflict-ridden areas? So a lot of really far-reaching discussions. Um, and, and, and our purpose was to try to, to, to basically set the agenda every year for the discussions that would take place at Davos in Switzerland. And um, it was it was really fun to it was really fun to meet um, experts from around the world and, and, and talk about such a wide ranging set of issues. So you had this really international perspective from the World Economic Forum, and now you are a scientific advisor to the Swedish House of Finance in Stockholm. Can you tell us more about your experience? The Swedish House of Finance is an interesting organization because it's part. Um, the Stockholm School of Economics Finance Department. It's part um, finance departments from other universities in Sweden, and it's also got kind of, it's also got a connection to the Swedish uh, business sector and to the and to the Swedish sort of policy and government sector. So it's a real it's in some respects it it bears similarity to the World Economic Forum's Global Agenda Council in that it brings together people from different perspectives who have expertise on the same issues. And so, um, you know, so Stockholm being the, being the capital of Sweden, you're right there in the heart of a lot of policy making that's going on and, and a lot of business activity that's going on. Uh, Sweden has a very well-developed uh, private capital market, and um, they also have a very sophisticated public pension system, which invests in private equity. And so 
um, you know, they um, some of their private equity firms, firms like uh, like EQT, are 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 global players in private equity, and so you know they think about private equity um, in a very you know in a very sophisticated way. They've also have a long tradition of a strong startup sector. So you know you think about companies like Skype, and they're big players in technology and, and fintech. Um, so, so, you know, I think they, um, I think they have a pretty broad perspective on private capital because they see how, um, startups can benefit by being invested in private capital and they see how public pensions can benefit by, uh, providing investment capital to, to private equity firms. There's been a tremendous amount of public discourse about private equity, the role of private capital more generally in our economy. You know, what do we know about how private capital impacts job creation? Do you think that the criticism of the industry is deserved? And what do you think should be done to, from a public policy perspective to make sure that private capital is deployed in a way that's sustainable and ethical? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. It's a really important question. There's a, lo- a lot of components to it. So on the one hand, it seems like anytime we enter um, a political cycle, um, we start hearing stories about private equity being the bad guy. In private equity, you know, the poster child for, for, for bad behavior is the Toys R Us transaction, where Toys R Us uh, went into bankruptcy and was dissolved, and there were thousands of jobs lost and all of this. And, 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 and people who want to see reform in private capital markets hold up a transaction like that and say, look, isn't private equity bad? Look what it does. It kills jobs. Private equity does kill jobs, but it also creates a lot of jobs too. It's a, it sort of it, it shepherds in a lot of technological and organizational change, which causes a lot of disruption in, in, in markets and in sectors. And so, I mean, I think that I think that there are some things that can be done in private equity that um, that would shield it from some of the criticism it receives from the from 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 different corners of the economy. I, I think the practice of private equity companies taking fees out of their portfolio companies is something that 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 could be revisited it's not uncommon for large private equity firms to to take management fees or or transaction fees out of the portfolio companies that they own Um, and sometimes that money goes flows back to the limited partners in the form of various rebates that they would receive on management fees they would pay but sometimes that money just sits inside the private equity firm and i think that um i think that if we started to scrutinize that more carefully i think that could be something that could lead to 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 better behavior in the private equity market but i think by and large I think private equity gets a bad rap when it when people look talk about job creation and job destruction because they find specific examples of of of, of failed transactions and they point to those and extrapolate as though that were the what an average transaction looked like and in fact an average private equity transaction you know ends up creating about as many jobs as it destroys it just changes the nature of employment inside the firm um, you know, people accuse private equity investors of being short-termist, but if you look, private equity-backed companies are more likely to uh, be to come out of financial distress with the current management intact than, than than companies that go into financial distress that lack private equity backing. Um, private equity invest-backed in, companies 
um, engage in more R&D than similar companies that lack private equity backing. So, you know, I think private equity is a, you know, there's something about the structure of the private equity investment vehicle. You have a, you have a 10-year closed-in fund where you make an investment in a company and you're going to hold that investment until you can exit it at a profit. That creates very strong incentives to create value in the investments that they make. And, you know, by and large, private equity has got a pretty successful track record at taking, um, making operational changes inside companies and combining them with, uh, you know, with, with careful financial engineering to generate a lot of value for investors. And so I think going forward, um, you know, you think especially about small business, um, I think one of the things that is, is really interesting is to think about the sort of the lower middle market in private equity and also about things like entrepreneurship through acquisition or search funds, which are new kind of new kind of organizational tools that we're seeing. Um, if you look at the small business economy, people often conflate small business and startups, and, and that's wrong. Almost all startups are small but almost all small businesses are old. There's lots and lots of old small businesses in the economy that are being operated by, you know, that, that are sort of, they're operated by uh, as like a family business where the, 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 the head of the business is approaching retirement. And the, uh, I think private equity has a very important role to play in intergenerational business transition questions in the small business economy. And I think one of the things that you're going to see is as you see lots of small businesses receive private equity injections as a part of this intergenerational business transition, I think you're going to see huge efficiency gains in the lower middle market. Just coming about partly because of just the consolidation of lots of tiny businesses into more medium-sized businesses where you can economize on, on uh, you know, overhead costs, but also just in the way the businesses are run. And I think, I think uh, that to me, that's a very exciting segment of the private equity market that I, that I think is going to be, uh, I think we're going to see a lot of efficiency gains in the U.S. economy come about as a result of private equity's involvement in the small business sector. So let's talk about the pandemic. This crisis will undoubtedly impact families and small businesses. How do you think that businesses backed by private capital will navigate the crisis? Um, you know, I think businesses that are backed by private capital are, 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 are lucky in this crisis in several regards. One is that, you know, I, everything that we've seen coming out of the payroll protection program suggests that it was a cumbersome process that was fraught with uncertainty, and much of that uncertainty remains today. Uh, you're hearing small business owners talk about not being sure whether they can spend the money and what th types of things they can spend the money on. People, are, Some people are still waiting for loans. Some people have been denied. Um, and so if you have a private equity backer, you, you, um, you, you, have, a more, you have a more steady source of, of capital available to you potentially. You also have a source of capital uh, that knows your business quite well. I mean, a lot of times part of the problem was with, with, with seeking um, government assistance was that you had to go to your bank, your bank, maybe you had a relationship with the bank, but you didn't they didn't necessarily know your business on a day-to-day -day operating basis. 
where a private capital partner w would have very detailed understanding of how your business works. So I think private capital is in a better position um, to, to provide assistance to their portfolio companies. Um, you know, that being said, private equity itself is facing a bit of a cash crunch, right? Because private the private equity investor, the, the, the general partners who are operating private equity firms, they rely on uh, money from their limited partners. And these are pensions, you know, university endowments, sovereign wealth funds, many of whom have been hit uh, or are facing, you know, cash crunches of their own. And so it's a very, it's a very interesting time because this the COVID-19 is really hitting all aspects of the value chain in private equity from the portfolio companies who need cash to the financial arrangements that general partners have in place with respect to credit lines and drawdowns from equity investors all the way back to the private equity limited partners. So we've touched on this a bit already, but earlier this year we saw the Dow end an 11-year bull market. No one has a crystal ball, but do you think we're going to go into an economic downturn? And if we do, what do you think it'll teach us about private capital? Uh, yeah. So that's a that's a good question. I mean, I think um, I, I think it's very. You're right. No one has a crystal ball, but I think it's very likely that we are in an economic downturn, and that it will be a pronounced economic downturn going forward. And I think part of the reason for that is that, you know, we we. I think people tend to equate lockdown and economic downturn, but the data suggests that people were 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 pulling back on spending and consumption and going out in the weeks prior to the lockdown occurring. So people are people are afraid, and people are going to continue to be afraid, and people are not going to engage in society to the same degree they were before until we have a lot more certainty over either the mortality rate of COVID-19 or we have a vaccine. Now, so that means that we're going to face uh, a, a period of protracted uh, um, economic downturn. And what's it going to what's it going to teach us about private capital? Or, or, or I guess maybe one way to think about this is how's private capital going to react to this? And I think what you're seeing is, you know, as as we as we experienced an 11 year bull market, it was it was it was easy to raise money in private capital. It was easy to raise money in different ways. So you saw a lot of heterogeneity in the types of organizations that were being that were raising capital. I think you're going to see kind of a retrenchment back to more standard operating procedure in venture capital and private equity. Um, there's going to be some incredible investment opportunities that are that make themselves available because you have you know, very solid, you have businesses that are solid and stable in the long run that have acute cash needs in the short run. We're already seeing private equity investors take large positions in companies like um, Expedia, um, which, you know, is, is being hit quite hard by the, by the drop in travel, but which has a, you know, which has a, a, an important foothold in the travel industry. And when travel comes back, Expedia is going to come back. So, you know, private equity has has a critical role to play in, in in helping companies weather the downturn, and that's true whether we're talking about a small business, a, a startup, or a or a big business. Um, 
and I, I think what it's going to, I think, I think coming, I think once the economic downturn is over and the crisis is behind us, we're going to look back and we're going to come to appreciate private capital differently because we're going to see how, um, we're going to see how important it was for providing lifelines to to businesses. And I think we're going to go back. This is me pretending I have a crystal ball, imagining, uh, you know, we're looking back 10 years from now, looking back over this time period. But I think I think we're going to look back over this time period and we're going to compare um, our efforts at using government stimulus to promote business activity versus private equity stimulating business activity or keeping business activity alive through its investments in its portfolio companies. And I think we're going to conclude that private equity did a much better job because A, it had better information and B, it had strong, stronger incentives. And so I think, I think this coming out of this downturn is going to teach us that private equity has a, uh, has a permanent place in our economy. Uh, where businesses can access capital, undertake a series of changes, uh, and, and come out on the other side stronger than they were before. And yes, there will definitely be mistakes that that occur. There'll be there'll be high-profile missteps that 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 um, allow people to kind of tar the sector with a with a broad brush uh, but but I think by and large when all the dust settles I think you'll see that private equity played an important role in in keeping the economy alive during the downturn. Dr. Robinson, thank you so much for joining us. It was great to have you on. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us everyone. We ended today's conversation like we usually do by talking about the pandemic and what it means for private equity. The future is uncertain right now, but I was struck by Professor Robinson's point that maybe private capital has been a lot more effective than any public policy or government response we've seen for small businesses. There have been serious issues with the Paycheck Protection Program, and private capital is likely to have been a more secure, more reliable source of funding. Of course, not every business is gonna be backed by private capital, and it's not a replacement for smart government policy. But when we face crises, especially one like this pandemic, it reminds us that at the end of the day, cash is king, that capital is the lifeline of businesses, and that we should continue this discussion of when and how to best deploy capital into our economy. Our next episode will be the final episode of The Academic Perspective. We'll be interviewing Dr. Gary Jareffi from Duke University, a leading expert on globalization and the father of modern global value chain theory. I'm your host, Shruti Rao. And this is Counting on Capital.